Hello, friends. On the lunch stream, you probably heard us tease an awesome interview with Jill Lord and Lori Rogers of the Neighbors Helping Neighbors program. We are going to play that interview, but I think we're going to save it for next week. The reason being, tonight's conversation went a little long, but given the timing and what's happened in our town over the last several days, we felt it was important to have this conversation. And so you're going to get a smorgasbord of absolute wonder and joy in next week's episode front and center as that interview will be played then for release on June 29th. And tonight, please enjoy our conversation about social media's impact on town discourse, discussion and politics. This is certainly not a value statement. We can't wait to share with you that awesome, awesome interview and the stories that Jill and Lori told us. It's just that we're sensitive to our listeners' time and try really, really hard to keep the show to about an hour. And so, without further ado, let's get into it. Happy Pride and happy Juneteenth, and welcome to Windsor Live, broadcast from Windsor, Vermont, the capital of the universe. My name is Christopher. And my name is James. And we are here with you once again on what is becoming an extremely hot summer of 2020. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, sweating through the uh, the golden oldies to find the goodies. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know, um, they always told me it was going to be hot in this room, and I thought they were going to be talking about the burden of of uh, uh, giving my opinions to the town. But but it's it's the temperature too. I'm yeah. I'm quite it's not sweaty. just dropping it like it's hot. Yes, it's almost ninety degrees in here, but. Mm-hmm. That's not why we assemble this evening. It's been a couple weeks since we've made one of these here podcasts because, honestly, there was more important news going on, and uh, that was where our focus was. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we're, we're back, and we're going to talk about some stuff that is going to be a little tough tonight, but it's fascinating and very important as we seek to have conversations, difficult conversations, um, with our our friends and our family and with each other uh, going forward, and and specifically around social media and how it's not helping. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the country right now. Crazy days. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, uh, George Floyd was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis. And I should probably say allegedly. Um, so I have that it was allegedly murder, but it was pretty blatant. Allegedly, when you hold your knee to someone's windpipe for eight minutes and 46 seconds, the uh, probability of ending that person's life is allegedly really high it yeah yeah allegedly (laughs) again our rpm um lawyers are making us say allegedly doesn't matter yeah um and you can say whatever you would like about that situation and a lot of people on facebook are but the facts are that a man was killed for an alleged, and I will say alleged here because we will never know what was actually happening, an alleged crime that at no point in history would have called for the death penalty. Right. I think that is the part that gets lost in the discourse. Um, you know, and... Whether or not it was a criminal action, uh, the action on the 
behalf of the police was criminal. And this is a case right now that is getting a lot of highlights because it spurned a movement. And I, I shouldn't say it spurned a movement. It has brought a lot of attention from people in positions of power to a movement that has been going on for five years or more, if you want to talk specifically about Black Lives Matter. But for, I don't know, do we want to say 400 years when we talk about the Atlantic slave trade? Like, right. it's not a new thing. We act like right. it's a new thing, but it's not. And... What is new is the the scale. Sure. Is the the you know uh number of cities and, and towns all over the country and all over the world that are that are moving and marching and protesting in solidarity and that that is the unprecedented part right but the story is old for sure absolutely and it's a story that has gotten replayed and replayed and it's a story that is continuing to be told in the, as of right now, what have there been eight lynchings in the United? Like it's, it's not, it's less than, it's less than 10, but more than zero, which is the number that you would ever want to see. Right. Um, they are being called right now suicides, but come on. Ladderless, uh, jumpings from trees with ropes is, is a bit of a stretch. Sure. Um, if they would have us believe that. Yeah. So we can, I mean, we can lie to ourselves and say that a bunch of black people killed themselves in very public places by hanging, or we can call it what it is. Um, so how did we get here? We're not going to talk about how did we get here as the sense of racial injustice, because that's pretty apparent. And it needs to stop, but, you know, we're not going to do this on that podcast. Uh, we're not going to do that on this podcast. Because there are voices that you should <laughs> yeah. listen to that are not two white guys from Vermont. Absolutely. That's the answer. Like, I mean, and 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 uh, that is one of the lessons of the moment is that it is up to all of us to to seek out those voices and mm -hmm. to, you know, consume their knowledge. Yeah. But what we can talk about is the discourse on social media that has surrounded these events and spun it into things that are amazingly positive and heartbreakingly negative. Um, often within one flick of the finger that moves your feed, you can see right. both of these things. Um this has really showed me the people who get it and the people who aren't quite there, but making their way. Um, and it's also showed me the people who just are lost. Yeah. Um, and it's awful because it, it, it you know, it's often like all the entire spectrum can be found in a, in a, in a single family, um, in a single home sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So, Chris, I think you want to talk a little bit about a personal experience with Facebook, just yeah, just at the jump. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to uh, you know kind of let people in a little close this time, and so. Um, Bear with me because this is kind of this is going to be a hard one to talk about for me. But um, I think that it is important be, and it's been very formative for me. Um, so I'd like to let you all in on it. <clears throat> so perhaps we all remember the early days of Facebook. It was a uh, quite a bit different. It was a platform that you could only get into if you had a uh, college. Uh, or educational account at first. Well, at first it was only at Harvard, but then it was opened up to uh, other other schools throughout the country before eventually going public. Uh, but that wasn't for that wasn't the first incarnation. Um, so 
eventually, you know, and I couldn't do that because I didn't go to college. So that was uh, a little restrictive for me and that's okay. But eventually it opened up to the public and there was a rush. I mean, I think we all remember that. There was a, a huge rush. All of a sudden, everyone was on Facebook. All of a sudden, everyone's parents were on Facebook. It, 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 got, it got different, right? And um, I had a Facebook account for, you know, a while, actually. A while through, throughout the aughts, uh, late, you know, late aughts and then... Um, the early part of that decade, but eventually, sometime around 2012, I I went through and deleted it um, because I got to this point of rage. I got to this point of rage, and there were some some people. So here's how it goes, or here's how it went. I would get invested and sucked into these conversations or I would just be scrolling and see posts that people would put on the internet and read stuff that would just make me so mad, make me so angry, make me um, really just feel such negativity toward that person who would post it. Um, Some of it was like me just being, you know, uh, you know, just being me, who knows what it could have been, but you know, it was baiting stuff. Some of it was really stupid, but some of it, I just was like, this is just hurtful, hateful garbage. What the hell is this? And it's the type of stuff that's like emotional that like plays on your, you know, your, your desire to, to like, you know, just some really base lizard brain shit, you know, like just some, uh, looking to solicit like an emotional response, right? And um, there was one person in particular whom I've known my whole life almost, well, a good portion of it, who was really formative in my you know teenage years, who uh, I didn't want to admit it because of this for a long time, but who was like, a really important figure for good at a time in my life when I was kind of tumultuous. And that was Rudy. That was Rudy Hanacek, right? And when I deleted my Facebook way back in 2012, he was one of the people that I was like, I am not, I can't, I can't dig in it. I can't hack it anymore. I'm sick of not liking this person whom I've known in my life, my whole life. Uh, I'm sick of feeling this negativity and I don't want to do it anymore. And I don't want to feel this way. And the only way to do that is to get away from this like pseudo reality that that social media inspires. Okay, so I did. I deleted my Facebook in 2012. It was glorious. It was freeing. It was so, so good. And I would have never come back except in 2017. My brother died and I needed a way, I needed to go to where I could get pictures and where I could talk to people and where I could communicate and coordinate and just like, you know, you just like somehow handle the massive amount of communication that comes with that kind of, you know, tragedy. Um, And so it brought me back in, right? And certainly the bewilderment of of grief allows for you to miss some of those old, you know... um, triggers that social media and Facebook in particular might might provide but for a long time it didn't matter because I was I was dealing with some other shit right um anyway the thing that started to happen as I became more involved in town again more involved in the town of Windsor was that I found myself starting to talk online with people like Rudy um, and I was kind of surprised by that little stuff, but like stuff that made me feel really good as, uh, as, as, you know, a, a, a citizen in, in this place that were like, I know that like, we don't necessarily agree, but these are conversations that I'm having that are like respectful and good and direct and, you know, interesting. And that was a pretty marked difference from my earlier experience, right? I'd still see the, the, the shit posting from time to time, but I just wasn't in a place where it 
would get to me. And when I decided to run for the select board um, and 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 tr you know try to you know make a go of it and see what what uh, that would bring, it was Rudy who not just he didn't just he didn't just tr try to write some nice words he 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 was so there and so invested and so kind and understanding and just wanting to help and and you know it that that experience and that knowledge and, and that context of years of being here in town and participating in politics and in town goings on was just so freely given and i felt so so stupid so wrong and just so gross for letting that wedge exist for letting that that happen and 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 now he's gone and that really sucks that really really sucks and so i i really think that it's it's time and it's important for us to talk about how these companies are intentionally getting into our psychology and 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 what it's what effect that's having and and see and try to recognize the damage that is is done because because you know now now that my friend rudy is is gone all i can i can only be grateful for serendipitously being like finding ourselves in a place where where it was where that relationship was whole i am so grateful that that happened and it's really formative for me and really changed the way that i try to think and 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 go about my relationships with people and especially people that i don't necessarily agree with mm -hmm. yeah no i think th thank you thank you for talking about that um i think that story is pretty common right you know we all of a sudden you see a version of this person who's unguarded that wouldn't have said anything like they're willing to put on Facebook in public and the immediate reaction is to just kind of go inward and get away from the situation and and I totally get it um I think the thing to remember because we talk about Facebook specifically, but social media in general, as this tool that brings us together. And we can all watch those super heartfelt videos where ad agencies have hit all the notes. Perfectly so crafted music. You care. Just right? enough shots to show the movement of the people in the yeah. right way. And... One of the things we're going to be just tomahawk dunking on tonight is Facebook groups. Ironically enough, that has been their most recent ad campaign is talking about how great, how great Facebook groups are. You can find your community. Um, and that's wonderful if you are looking for... Um, you know, a new Dungeons and Dragons group or right. something where you can talk about needlework or I don't know, gardening, but more and more people are using these groups to find a community of people who want to do evil. And we're not going to talk about the name or the specifics of this group and Facebook has made a little bit of a headline lately by doing the absolute bare minimum to address what 
these people are doing. So you'll see headlines of 900 white supremacist Facebook groups have been deplatformed. Um, mm-hmm. They don't talk anything about policy to make sure that they aren't just creating new groups and reloading, which is, I'm right. sure, what's happening. Um, but they're they're closed groups, so they can be who they always were and find ways to organize and it's super dangerous so we can't we can't look at these feel good moments and you know have our eyes off the ball we have to remember that facebook twitter and all the other ones including <laughs> the thing that i use more than any of these telegram they are for profit companies that need you to interact with their platform. And they're not here to make the world a better place for anyone other than their board members, right? And right. their stockholders. And I I'm a I am a technologist. I love to tinker and I love to read about new innovations. I it's it's where I exist and I am just so interested and invested in technology as an industry and as a practice but i have i can already hear uh people my my geeks you know rallying to say like well look what this comes down to is platforms being being needing to have the breadth and and the bandwidth and the ability to create an experience without necessarily uh, being responsible for how other people use it. And uh, that's one of those things that I, that I agree with it. I agree with that statement, right? But there's, there's another part of this conversation that if we ignore is, is it would be very disingenuous to the reality of the situation. And that is that, these companies' private walled garden applications have somehow come to supplant or replace what we would usually refer to as our commons, our our common public spaces. The the wide, somewhat nebulous, some somewhat you know, precise spaces that we inhabit and in which we exercise our freedoms and we exercise our ability to, to communicate and, uh, and convince each other or, or, you know, engage in that conversation. And there's a big difference between a, a, a commons, a public place where we have rights and responsibilities and a product. Right. And that distinction, I I am sympathetic to that being a hard bitter pill to swallow to swallow, especially as a technologist, because I, I it took me a very long time to understand sure. why I had I had this conflict in in that train of thought. And it really comes down to this problem. Right. And we can look at how specifically Facebook, I feel like we're really hammering on Facebook, but they are by far and away the worst offenders um, for most of this. Uh, as far as like the mainstream sources, there's other, there's a lot of fringe like platforms, but Facebook, like honestly, yeah. like, it, it, I mean, I don't think it's hyper hyperbole to say like they don't even try. Sure. They really don't. Yeah. They, it's not it it's almost like willful and as we'll explore, you know, tonight, it it's it is willful yeah. uh, maliciousness. And I guess if we're making, if we're making a Venn diagram of like groups that facilitate white supremacist um, military actions and groups that my grandmother uh, 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 products my grandmother uses, like it's Facebook. That's right. That's the Venn. <laughs> um, and I think I think that makes it even more gross. But like, why? 
Why do we why do we get so emotionally involved specifically in arguments on Facebook? Because, you know, there are flame wars on Twitter and Reddit and all of the other things. Flame wars are a tradition as old yeah. as the internet itself, Man. as old as DARPANET itself. You want to But there used to be this thing called netiquette, if you're if you're old enough to remember that. Sure. And uh, one of the things we looked at was an article from the New Atlantis, which is a very geeky journal from the Center for the Study of Technology and Society. The Mm. article is entitled, How Facebook Deforms Us by L.M. Sikasis. Um, And the author argues that there was like this time, this golden age which probably wasn't as gold as we remember it, where there were Never things really like, is. don't don't share anything that you wouldn't want your grandmother to see. And don't, don't add fuel to the fire. I'm actually reading quotes here. <laughs> don't add fuel to the fire. Don't feed the trolls. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook as a vice is something that came about because the platform just wasn't getting enough eyeballs. So Mm -hmm. this is where you see the like button or that like secondary engagement on your picture or your post. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just at the beginning. I mean, now there's like 75 different things you can choose from to tailor make that, uh, um, um, emotional response to whatever somebody's saying um and they just keep adding them there's that that like i i think it's like a crying smiley face with holding a heart i feels like we're we're really several layers going of emoji that you can choose from yeah but at the beginning it was it was just one thing like you push that button and that was the thing that made the original poster being like Yes, what I said had value. Mm-hmm. Um, it was super awkward when you talked about like a parent dying or something, and you had to hit a like button. Right, um, right. But but that was there, and that was that was not a way for Facebook to make it seem like oh people really like me. That was a way for there to be more engagement on the platform. So they were using game right. theory to drive engagement with the platform and then they could use those numbers to be like hey advertise on facebook because this many people are clicking on this many things right um and they really like hit that sweet spot with the amount of serotonin that is uh released when (laughs) you get that like button and i fall into that trap too like i know the sentence that is going to get those those clicks and those likes and and i will craft my message to fit right into that sentence oh Um, yeah it's it's i mean it's a studied and i mean people have entire you know careers based on this optimization and it cannot be understated how many well-paid six-figure Facebook employees, mm-hmm. designers, uh, uh, yeah. uh, user experience engineers, um, you know, you know, just really, really smart, geeky people have crafted every single pixel that you interact with to deliver that, that, that predefined emotional response. Yeah. But then something changed. And by something changing, it just means that people caught on to the fact that gamification was happening. Um, Things were getting a little bit hotter and a little bit more emotional. And a couple authors argue, but specifically from this article that we've been reading, it has to do with your social network that you're building on these sites is a little bit broader than anyone who you would actually be interacting with, you know, like a normal friend group. Um, It's been argued that the most that a person can really know, like really consider as someone they know, uh, you know, that friend group's going to be at max a hundred because the brain just isn't able to process more 
people than that. I mean, that that may or may not be true, but that's kind of like where neuroscience is, is at at this point. Um, I have way, I don't, I don't want to brag, but I have way more than 100 friends on Facebook. Um, I have friends on Facebook that I have never met and probably would not recognize if I walked by them, um, in a grocery store. I have a, a very short side tangent I would love to tell you about in this moment. So, you know, I've been in a band for many, many years in my life called the Pilgrims, right? Well, turns out there is a Pilgrims heavy, like, uh, 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 they're kind of like thrash metal band in like, uh, uh, I think it's Indonesia. (laughs) (laughs) And every once in a while... We'd get some crosstalk between fans of one oh, and no. the other. <laughs> this is like a... seeking, seeking the other band out. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a, like a, like a K-pop stand war. Oh, I know. Yeah, you can't make it up. But Except yeah, no, that... like fives of people. <laughs> yeah, no, tens. <laughs> tens of fans sure. have been confused by this over the years. But yes, it's... <laughs> A very, it's a great namespace collision. Anyway. Okay. So, here's the thing. We're growing our friend group to a an amount that we could not possibly, possibly interact with. And I don't want to, I don't want to come down like I'm, I'm like in the boomer thing of you can't possibly be friends with somebody you've never met in person. That's impossible. I don't want right. to Right, it's not like that. that. No, like, no, 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 no. I have great friends that I would actually put into that hundred of people that I could know in, in real life that I only interact with online right now. Right. Like, right. I think that that's, that's yeah. part of the, 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 uh, that's a characteristic of, yeah. of modern online existence is yeah. that you find, you know, that, that, the caution about don't make friends online. No, actually, you can make great friends online. In fact, right. a lot of the people, I won't say, I don't know if I could say most but a, a non-trivial portion of the people I know that have gotten married in the last decade and have remained married in the last decade met online. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, honestly, like part of this is because of the current pandemic we're in, but I have definitely talked to you far more online than I ever have in person, Christopher. It's true. Hours logged now uh, of screen time. <laughs> yeah, no, that that column is 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 stacked way higher. That's true. Yeah. Um but here's the thing. Uh you're holding these people that you do not know to a a pretty high moral standard. Uh and Facebook saw that this was happening, right? That people are interacting with people that they don't really know, but they're putting them at the same like the same level of morality that they would hold their family and friends. They're, they're like close family and friends. Um, and Facebook started to market their groups, uh, at this point. This is also when you see them adding more options for emotions to posts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And what happened, and, and it's also, so it's also the point when sharing of outside sources became really easy on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of this kind of created this hellscape of <laughs> moral outrage on both mm-hmm. sides. So this is like right around 2015 mm-hmm. and boy, there was a lot going on then, right? It's true. Yeah. It's true. And it, and it's, uh, uh, a, a great example of parts of the deep web that most people interact with. Right. Wait, what? What is he saying? Christopher, <laughs> I'm not on the deep web. I'm on no, there's no darkness here. No, legitimately. The, the, you know, generally speaking, that is that which we refer to as the, as the, you know, the deep web is just unlisted parts of the internet, kind of like your email inbox or a group on Facebook that is not publicly accessible, whose content is restricted from access by the general public, 
and in this in most cases require approval to uh participate in mm -hmm. and uh you know that's a very important component when you take the tools that james just described the 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 tools of, of sharing and reacting uh coupled with good old-fashioned internet outrage yeah. and weaponized pettiness yeah so we're at this we're at this point now in the history of um what the author of this article calls anti-social media where we have become so polarized as as a people and the author of the article argues that a large part of that has to do with social media usage. So social media usage spikes at the uh, point of time, like 2014 to 2016. That is like the golden age of the internet troll converging with your grandmother. Right. Um, this is when the older generation starts to use Facebook. And we mean like the older the greatest generation yes yeah oh yeah we don't even, we're not even talking about boomers here this is not the bashing on boomers portion of the podcast but we will get there um <laughs> it's always it's in every episode this is when um people the generation who fought fascists in the 30s and 40s had to again do that online um and this is when you start to see the kind of misinformation websites and part of the internet become a little bit more mainstream because mm -hmm. they're getting shared on Facebook. So this is where you see all of the stuff like Pizzagate and um, birtherism. I mean, birtherism was going hardcore in the grosser parts of the internet and on like conservative media. But it was just everywhere once started people putting it people started putting it on Facebook. Right. Um and shocker, like the troller in chief becomes president and it becomes more prevalent because all of a sudden, like the people who were on the fringe sharing this like misinformation, pseudoscience, conspiracy theories in a bad way. I'm all for a conspiracy theory if it has to do with something oh, yeah. that doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah, a, a conspiracy theory that, uh, you know, does not damage someone's life, liberty, or their ability to yeah. pursue happiness is a great conspiracy theory in my book. Sure. But, you know, all of a sudden this has become the mainstream and they are seen and heard and everything just starts spiraling at this point. Mm -hmm. And... Google or Facebook sees this and makes a full-throated pledge to combat this and fight fake news. And we all lived happily ever after. And everything was great. Yeah. But of course that didn't actually happen because one of the stories I'm going to share with you right now is from these small towns that are dealing with Black Lives Matter protests that are just people of color saying, please don't kill me. I've, I've been killed enough. Please no more. Um, and people taking that opportunity to kind of sow dissension in the ranks and saying like, oh, well, Antifa is going to come to your town and destroy everything. Um, obviously, that hasn't happened. The police, perhaps, the police who are everyone... being protested against at this point are actually doing the work of saying, like, hey, 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 like, peacefully assemble. That's fine. These stories are fake. Don't worry about it. It's not happening. Right. Um, but it doesn't matter because that seed has already been planted. Right. 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 Um, and I, I don't think we're arguing from like a return to norm in this like netiquette type situation. Cause that's just, that bell has been rung. It's not going to be unrung. Right. Um, but I think we just need to like take a step back and be like, what are we doing? 
it speaks to how effective these these tools are in distorting reality too. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, it's 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 so powerful. Earlier on the lunch stream, we talked about uh, Chaz, the the uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or or CHOP, as they're calling it now, the Capitol Hill Occupancy Protest. Mm-hmm. I think is what they've renamed, rebranded as. Yes. But we talked about that. And, and, you know, go listen to the lunch stream if you want context for it. Um, but in short, it's a place, it's about six blocks in Seattle where, uh, where in the area surrounding a precinct where the cops totally pulled out. And for the last several days has been, uh, you know, some operating in this communal fashion to, you know, and, and calling themselves autonomous and, and using the opportunity to protest and talk about their demands it looks like a big you know block party we talked about how you know there's people like singing and there's you know people speeching and there's people painting murals and, and drawing on the sidewalks <laughs> with chalk and you know giving each other food and and hand sanitizer it's like it really does look like a row of, of like booths at Bonnaroo mm-hmm. you know like it, it, it truly and um a number of times. I mean, and, you know, there's, we even talked about, you know, there's tensions and there's, you know, potential dangers with that as well. Like, you sure. know, sure, there's a lot of people in a big bunch of groups milling around in a pandemic. There's issues there. Like, let's not, you know, it's not to, it's not to paint this in with any one color or frame it, but like, you know, one thing that's so important and so available to us is the ability to to get um uh to get firsthand sources and a lot of them accounts of people in this location accounts of people walking through and describing what it's like taking pictures taking video and posting that so that we can all see it and the reason I'm we're making such a big deal about this one story in Seattle is that it also functions as a as an amazing fulcrum for understanding this reality distortion that Facebook groups and and these you know uh, private places on social media uh, have 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 you know wrought upon us. The I've seen so many posts about. Chaz Chop, Chaz Chop, whatever, about this place, referring to it as a terrorist armed uprising where where people are being, you know, looted and beaten and criminals are running the place and, you know, there's warlords and there's there's just violence in the streets. And it's like I mean, you can you can you can pull up Twitter and type in Chaz and see video for yourself right now that will show you unequivocally that it is not that. Right. You know, for whatever criticism you have about uh, anything else, like, it is not a terrorist armed uprising. It is not a secessionist movement. It is it is a, a back parking lot of Bonnaroo (laughs) really you know and and to see people like you call for the military to go in right and 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 you know and kill people and actually kill kill people is so disturbing it is so deeply deeply disturbing Mm -hmm. and and but I see it and right. we see that on we see that on Facebook, and we see that amplified, and 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 it's it it boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. It just blows me away. And and we say this because you know what I'm worried about. You want to talk about violence in in Chaz? What I'm worried about is it becoming a a, a Kent state on steroids. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. And I think that this 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 rhetoric and this this like massive amplification of untruths has a real danger of of doing that. Yeah, and 
if we want to even call out the hypocrisy further on the on the side of Facebook um, and users of Facebook, so there is this wave of disinformation on what's happening in Seattle. At the same time, the people who are calling this a terrorist uprising have no problem with full-throatedly calling out the banning of Confederate flags by a private company as something that is so antithetical to the Constitution of the United States as as that this will lead to a second civil war. They have no problem with well-armed protesters going to state capitals and threatening lawmakers so that they can go to, and this is, these are the signs that are there, Chili's, Applebee's, a haircut. Um, right. The problem is that we have gotten into this spiral of vitriol, vit, vitriol? Hold on a second. Let's <laughs> a spiral of vitriol. There we go. That basically there are several sides of every story, whether it is something as large as systemic racism in the United States, which is a real thing. Hey, we're going to take a hard, a hard, uh, um, look right here and say it's a thing the the windsor live position is that systemic racism and white privilege in the united states of america is and has always been a thing mm-hmm. um but if you look at the average facebook or twitter post uh man you, they are just like coming out of the woodwork to be like, no, 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 hold on. Irish people were slaves too. Like, sure. We're not talking about that. Um, and if you want to talk about like numbers, let's talk about numbers and we're not going to do this on that podcast, but like, yeah, it can so quickly just devolve into, into, um, a fight that it's almost not worth engaging and honestly, if we did disengage from some of these social media things, it would probably be better. But I want to read a quote, and I've read this to Chris already, but I'm going to read it here. And it's kind of long, and it is from before the murder of George Floyd. So, um, the you know, the context is this person was talking about the open up the economy protest, but this is from one of my friends, and... I'm not going to share his name, but I, he, he is fine with me reading this. So this is something that was shared on his Facebook page. <laughs> and the comments are wild, but we're just going to read the post. Your rights come from other people, unless a sufficiently powerful group of people in your society agree that you have the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, speech, guns, health care, abortion, insulin, or public assembly during a pandemic then those rights essentially aren't rights. At least until you can convince a powerful enough group of people to act like they are. Rights are conferred on you by the systems of power relations that you participate in. They are conferred on you because you fulfill a particular role and meet the obligations of said role. The bar can be pretty low. Your role may be to be a living human, or maybe a living citizen. Sometimes it's higher, like you have to be a taxpayer, or a soldier, or a land-holding white male, or a voter, or someone with at least five years of on-the-job experience and a bachelor's degree, master's preferred. It's okay, it's a, it's a big one. The reason I bother to say this is that many of the most vitriolic arguments are intractable because they are framed as either having or not having a right to something. This leaves no possibility of compromise. It's black or white. If the argument is instead about what hurdles do you have to jump to be eligible for something, then it opens the door to a halfway position. Compromise isn't always called for. Sometimes one side should win 
or simply won't stop fighting until they do. But the point is, a great many of our disagreements don't actually have to be existential pit fights. Some do, most don't. It's certainly worth considering in each individual case, right? Existential pit fights are exhausting, after all. Maybe we can start this way. Every time we talk about our right to something, we also say what our obligation is to keep that right. At the very least, it might help you see that the person who holds the opposing view is in fact a human, with the same feelings that you have. In the best case, it will present a path forward that both parties can live with. Now what they're talking about is not your right to be a black person in America and not be expected to be shot in the streets. But it is something that you can think about when you're complaining about, like, what actually is free speech? Should someone be held to a higher standard because they're in a position of leadership rather than the average citizen? Can there be repercussions for something that you put on Facebook uh, from a private company that is not enforced by the federal government? Um, Since our commons have been usurped by these products, by, by these spaces that owe no allegiance to any one of us or, or hold our collective welfare as, as a goal... They have an amplifying effect on the damage that such a that such statements could could bring. Mm -hmm. There's no it is an unfair arena with unenforced repercussions that don't square in reality with how human beings actually talk and right. treat each other. Right. I think in the next couple weeks and months and man, if we do it right years, we're going to be having a lot of uncomfortable conversations. Don't be afraid to have those conversations. Don't be afraid to listen. And don't feel the need to always run to the defensive unless right. that conversation is depriving somebody of a fundamental freedom and a human right. If that is happening, run to that person's defense. Or tell me and I'll run to their defense. I'm, we'll all go. I'm, I mean, that's... We'll all go. Yeah. But don't be afraid of change. Change has the ability to be scary, right? It's uncomfortable. I have found myself so many times in the past couple weeks and being like, oh, man, when this gets back to normal, it will all be so much easier. But that is completely missing the point of what every organization that is looking to change anything worth changing is talking about. We're not talking about getting to the point where we're comfortable again. Right. We are getting talking about getting to the point where everybody is finally comfortable at the same time. Right. And the only way that we're going to do that is by confronting it and accepting that the world is not as we've seen it. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly not as it's been echoed throughout these private Facebook groups. Right. It's much, much better. All of us. It's much, much better when we're all there together out on the street. Sure. Absolutely. So I'll see you there. It's okay to be wrong. Yeah. It really is.
it's uncomfortable and it bruises our ego sometimes and we don't like to admit it but it's important because you can't fix anything unless you identify the problem basic troubleshooting and the one thing i want to end on because it's been pretty serious now and we've been talking a lot about the bad of social media but i want to give specific spotlight to like the heroes of these organizations um i want to talk about like i don't want to talk about i want to mention unicorn riot who has covered all of the police brutality coming out of these protests putting their own camera people like on the line um i want to talk about getting shot at with rubber bullets like really really putting themselves on the line I want to talk and I want to acknowledge the organizers of Black Lives Matter who are not afraid to stand in front of a crowd to advocate for their own existence, because that's what they're doing. Um, In front of militant, militarized police that are just waiting to brutalize them. And they're scary as shit. Oh my god. And I especially, with my whole heart, want to acknowledge and thank the army of K-pop fans who have hijacked every, (laughs) every white supremacy hashtag on Twitter. You See are what you miss when you're not connected, friends. <laughs> <laughs> that is the kind of weaponized pettiness yeah. I can get behind. You are legion, and you are Expected. amazing and loved. <laughs> um. So <laughs> I figured we had to pivot to some kind of some kind of fun outro there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, this is it's all connected, man. It's all connected. That's why we're doing this show. Mm-hmm. That's why we're we're, you know, looking and, and 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 going to create more opportunities for people to talk, for people to con- to converse and have these dialogues. And that's why we gather you know, if there's one thing I've learned about the people of Windsor is that they love a party. Mm-hmm. I see it. I see it. The dance parties, the festivals, the 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 block parties. I mean, it's the most common answer to what should Windsor do uh, on our budget surveys is that people love the party, and yeah. it's not just because we like to blow off steam, although that's really good. <laughs> it's because we like to get into the streets and into the same place and talk and experience life together. And now, even though we are in these quarantine times, we have the tools. It's time to lean into that. Right. And who knows what you'll learn. And I think that's the big thing. Learn. Don't be afraid. I, I personally have not been very vocal on any one thing. And it's not because I don't feel one way or the other. I think I've made it pretty clearly over the past two episodes of this podcast that I I have very strong opinions on this matter. But my voice isn't the voice that needs to be heard. There are things that I can do as a straight white male in America to signal boost and make sure different messages get out there. Because, unfortunately, the world was kind of made for me at this point. But what I can also do is no one to just get out of the way mm-hmm. and let the people who need to be heard have that spotlight. Uh, Cause I've had it for 30. God, how old am I? 35 years. The, the spotlight of the United States of America has been on me and I could basically do whatever I wanted in it and not have to worry about anything. Um, 
but I'm not going to be able to talk on these matters with a lot of authenticity. So I think we need to know when to get out of the way and just make it easy for people to get that message out. And social media, where you're just being inundated with any emotional baiting of a political issue that you could possibly be inundated with, that's not it. Yeah. That's not it. Yeah, and I think we just need to learn to, I don't know, I always go back and forth on this, and maybe maybe this part doesn't even make it into the podcast, because I, I don't know what to do. But it's like, do you engage? Do you not engage? Do you hope that atrophy just kind of lets that part die out? Cause... We just need to start recognizing it for what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like like expecting Facebook to be a place where you can have a conversation is just, it's just yeah. ludicrous. Expecting it to be anything other than a propaganda propagation yeah. platform is ludicrous. That's all it is. That's all I use it for at this point. Yeah. Like, I mean, straight up, I get on Facebook to tell a bunch of people what I think they should think. Like, that is what it is. I think you should listen to this podcast. I think you should listen to what the library presentation yeah. said last night. I think that you should check out this uh, thing that the Historical Association did. I think you should read Town Manager Tom Marsh's newsletter. Mm-hmm. I think this, and I think you should do this. And that's the only thing that it is useful for. Mm-hmm. And if and if and if I can figure that out in the middle of of nowhere, I'm sorry, the capital of the universe, Correct. Windsor, Vermont. You think other people have to? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. So like, uh, it it I, I don't know if there's anything actionable about about it, mm-hmm. but I think that you know taking that and and reflecting on it and. It's a little tough because of quarantine, I admit yeah. that, but but it is so important to have conversations with the people around you and to do so in earnest and really listen because you can see it throughout the country. It is we are tearing each other apart. Mm-hmm. And if we have if we want if we have a hope of counteracting that we need to start listening. And I am very optimistic about this town's ability to do that. So let's yep. let's do it. Let's move forward. Yeah. And I think maybe to end on an upside, um, New York Times published a poll about a week ago, and I think those numbers have actually gone up since then, that um, the approval rating of Black Lives Matter is higher than any elected body in the United States and America at this point. It's jumped right. up significantly on all parties, and it is still underwater with conservative Republicans, but it actually went up 39% in the past three weeks. Wow. Um, it is higher than the president's approval rating by 32 points. That's not saying much, but it's high. I mean, it's it's like right around sixty eight percent as mm-hmm. a, as an aggregated total, and you can be like, oh well, this is the liberal media putting a like gerrymandered um, poll out. But this poll was conducted by uh, I'm going to say this wrong Rasmussen. It's right. It, it's right leaning. Like it it is it is the poll that that always has the Republican candidate at the top. Like mm-hmm. they they are very scientific in <laughs> their methods, but they tend to talk to conservative people and they tend to use methods like phone interviews and stuff like that, that like the younger generation doesn't use. And mm-hmm. still this, these numbers are kind of undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're like sitting on the fence being like, Ugh, you know, I don't know if this is the right way. Like, get on the right side of history because popular opinion is rapidly shifting towards the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and I guess, like, instead of getting baited into the shouting match on Facebook, learn from the fans of of Blackpink or one of the many other K-pop 
stands and just throw a fan cam up there and walk away. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us once again from the capital of the universe, Windsor, Vermont. This is and has been and always will be Windsor Live. This show is recorded every single week at 7 p.m. on Thursday, broadcast to the universe for you to get down and deep on what's going on in the town of Windsor and give us a place to have these conversations. You can find all new episodes at windsorlive.net or join us at windsorlive.net slash live. You can reach me at cgoulet at windsorvt.org or I am j-r-e-e-d at windsorvt.org And of course every new episode is in every new every podcatcher that you could possibly want to use every application that is available to you please subscribe because that's how you get the newest hotness every new episode just as soon as it comes out james thank you it's been a pleasure as always absolutely thank you all for listening black lives matter LGBT rights are human rights, and wear a damn mask outside. Happy Juneteenth, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye.